You guys, welcome to episode 16, I believe, of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McGeady, and I'm going to be recording an episode today by myself. I haven't done this in a while. Uh, That wasn't the intention at first, to be honest with you. I do like to record by myself because it feels like I'm like, I don't know, reconnecting with you or something. Um, But I had actually recorded an episode with my friend Ashley Johnson, and I don't know what the hell happened, but our audio didn't work, and it was like an hour and a half long of me just like talking to nobody. I don't know what happened, but her, her audio didn't record, so... We had to scrap it. I was really sad. The episode was incredible. We both did so much research, and I'm not going to spoil who it was about because I'm hoping maybe next week we can re-record it and release it for you guys, but um, it broke my heart, and Ashley was so cool, and she did so much research, and she had so many insightful, cool things to say, and I feel terrible, so I'm going to try and re-record that, and I figured in the meantime I can just drop like a quick little single episode for you guys uh so i thought and then you know 15 pages of notes later here i am as always but i'm excited i think this is going to be a really good one i found a lot of really interesting information about the couple that i'm talking about and i love that i always lead into these episodes as if you guys haven't literally read the description like as if i'm gonna expose something to you right now like you know that i'm talking about lady gaga and luke carl you obviously read the description and this was super interesting. I, like I said, I took a shit ton of notes. I kind of lost my mind a little bit, more than I usually do, if you can believe it. And I know what you're thinking. Why the hell isn't he talking about Lady Gaga and Taylor Kinney? I get it. That would have been the obvious choice. And I think that at some point, I do want to cover that relationship because I find it very, very interesting. I find the whole thing really fascinating, especially at that time in her life, like, you know, the sort of reinvented version of Lady Gaga, like Golden Globes Gaga, Oscar Gaga, Yas Gaga, you know what I mean? I can't wait, I can't wait to talk about that, actually, because I think it's really cool, and I think that Taylor Kenny and her will maybe get back together one day, I don't know, but, uh, I don't know, Luke Carl is a whole nother thing. If you guys don't know who Luke Carl is, then buckle up because this is a bumpy ride if you do then you kind of know that you know he's been a really really important figure in lady gaga's life since she was 19 and yeah i mean he's he's an interesting character he kind of looks like an 80s glam rocker he's got like very 80s um like split in from the tip to the root black dyed mullet hair he wears like sequin leggings all the time like he's a character and there's a lot of songs in her catalog that are written about him that i want to get into at some point because once you know all these fine intricate details of their relationship those songs become much more interesting and i just kind of had a a, a lady gaga like i don't even know like a yaga sisterhood moment in my my room here for the past couple days like recording all this or uh looking up all this information because these songs all mean so much more to me after reading all this stuff so i hope that i can do that for you and uh what do you say we get right into it what's the hold up so lady gaga and luke carl first dated from 2005 to 2008 and they broke up shortly after she made it big and uh they reconnected In July of 2010, that lasted until May of 2011. So, 
really tumultuous relationship, even from 2005 to 2008, they were still sort of like breaking up and getting back together a lot. And like I said earlier, literally one minute ago, um, of all the relationships in Gaga's past, I think most of her fans would cite this as probably the most prominent in her life. They dated for so long. And besides the fact that he, you know, played this huge part in the development of her character as Lady Gaga, she's also written a shit ton of songs about him. Some of the most popular songs in her music catalog, which include um, Boys, Boys, Boys from her first album, uh, Judas. She wrote a fucking song about him called Judas. And I mean, if that's not interesting enough to keep you listening, then I don't know. I don't know what else I can do. Um, you and I, which is like one of my favorite Lady Gaga songs, was written about him. It's very autobiographical. I can't say that word, but you know what I mean. Very autobiographical about the relationship, and I think most famously, Paparazzi um, has a whole history with them that we'll get into. I want to at some point sort of like break down these lyrics, and you know, after we've gone over all these details, we can kind of like re re uh, I don't know re-get into them or whatever um (laughs) and uh gaga herself she's never really publicly spoken about luke in any sort of like tell-all way she's i don't even know if she's ever really said his name to the press to be honest with you she really holds this relationship close to her heart i think that it's you know she obviously got engaged to taylor and i think that he was one of the loves of her life but i think that Luke Carl will always be the love of her life, and I don't think she'll ever really get over this relationship. I think that he will continue to inspire her work forever, you know what I mean? And they'll always have this connection. Honestly, I do see them reconnecting at some point, because that's what they do, and it hasn't really been that long since she broke up with Taylor, so I do think there there is hope for reconnection. I don't know if that's a good thing. But you can decide that once we kind of go over all these details. So I first want to start by kind of detailing who Luke Carl. I'm going to stop saying detailing, first of all. But I want to like get into who Luke Carl even is. Because I know a lot of you probably don't even know him. You may not have even heard his name. Or you've heard of him and never cared enough to like look him up. Because why would you? So Luke Carl is a self-proclaimed... He's a club manager. He's a promoter. He's a DJ. He's an author, he's a bar owner, he's a bartender, he's a personal trainer, a semi-pro bowler. He's basically a real housewife. He has 40 different jobs. He has a jewelry line. Um, But yeah, he does all these things, and I think more prominently, he is a bar owner. That's sort of like his main thing. He owns two bars in New York. Um, He is originally from Springfield, Nebraska, and he's lived in New York for well over 10 years. His bars are called the St. Jerome and Welcome to the Johnsons. And I think the St. Jerome is like his main sort of like home base. I found this article from 2010 that had a quote from Luke's MySpace bio. So I'd like for you for a second to just imagine the journey that I went on. I found an article from 2010 that quotes Luke's MySpace biography. So was in a weird place. And his bio said, got slick black hair, skin tight jeans, a Cadillac car, and a teenage dream. And if that douchey bio doesn't give you an exact description of who this guy is as a person, then I don't really know what else to tell you. Like, that perfectly describes 
who he is if you've never seen him. And like I said, he looks like an 80s hair metal rocker that has split ends from the root, the tip of his hair to the root. He's got a little bit of beer bloat. You know what I mean? He's um, he's He looks like he ages rapidly every year. He kind of looks like Slash, to be honest with you. And he wears like sequin, uh, sequin like leggings and rocker t-shirts and boots and yeah, I'll post a picture of him in the Facebook group because it's necessary. Like the way he looks is so much a part of this whole story. But I think we should now get to Gaga. So around the time that she started dating Luke, she was about 19 and she was still going by her real name at that point. She was just Stephanie. And, uh, she had also had just recently withdrawn, withdrew, withdrawn, she had withdrew from the Collaborative Arts Project Theater Company in New York, also known as CAP, um, which is a performing arts theater, or I'm sorry, a performing arts school. And uh, she was entering her sophomore year to focus on, she was entering her sophomore year, but she left school to focus on her music career and her band. Her band at the time was called the Stephanie Germanata Band, and it was her with, I want to say, three other guys. Um... And at that point, her father had basically told her, you're going to need to either piss or get off the pot. So I will pay your rent for the next year. If you're deciding to drop out of school, I'll pay your rent. And if this music thing doesn't work out for you, I'm going to cut you off and you'll have to figure it out on your own. So they made a deal that if she wasn't signed by a label or had at least had, you know, was writing for people or something successful in the music industry after a year, then she would need to basically figure it out and fend for herself or enroll back in school. And he would continue to help her if she went back to school. And like I said, this was also around the same time that she started dating Luke. So she showed up to his bar one night. She had a fake ID. I think she had just turned 20 years old. She had a fake ID that said she was 25. He gave her a drink. And from that moment, he was a part of her life forever. They were never really, even though, like I said, they've gone through periods of not being together, you know, fighting, uh, being madly in love, being possibly engaged, wanting to start a family. I mean, they've really gone through a lot together. At, in some form or another, he's been a part of her life. Um... And like I said, around this time, she was also in a band called the Stephanie Germanata Band, also known as the SG Band. And the Stephanie Germanata Band was together from September of 2005 to by, like late 2006. So they were together not long at all. Um, they played, you know, just really small venues all over New York, um, which included like coffee shops and bars. Um, they would play in subways. I even read that she would play uh, in like the basements sometimes of grocery stores so that while people shopped, they would listen to live live music that they couldn't see. Um, and in March of 06, they performed at The Bitter End, which was a West Village bar in New York, and they sold out their first demo. And The Bitter End became their sort of home base. That's how Anybody who had acquired a, like a liking for them or whatever fans that they did have, because they did sort of acquire a small, very sort of cult following in the West Village, they would always, they would just know that at certain nights they would always be performing at the bitter end. And I'm sure at this point, these videos are no longer like rare, but there are videos, a lot of videos of, of Lady Gaga on YouTube as Stephanie Germanata sort of performing in this like, you know, she's got her long, dark Italian hair. She's in like a like an urban outfitter sort of early two thousands boho look. 
and she's behind a piano, you know, playing her keyboard at the bitter end always. Um, and this was her thing. Like at this time, she was kind of a coffee shop, like Phoebe from Friends performer a little bit, which is so interesting to me for some reason. And the SG band performed at the new songwriter showcase in June of 2006. And this was considered like a peak moment for them because not only was that a huge gig, I mean, that's where talent scouts come and look for, you know, up and coming artists that they want to sign or that they want to, you know, develop or whatever. Um, This was huge for them. They also sold out their demo there. They had a bunch of people buy their music. So what would have been a big break for the band ended up becoming a big break for Gaga because a talent scout named Wendy Starland saw her there. So Wendy Starland was out scouting for people for a producer named Rob Fusari. Are you following? Rob was looking to, he was looking for female talent to basically uh, sing for this band that he was trying to put together. Wendy saw something in Gaga. She loved her gave her her card and was basically like, are you willing to split from this band to be signed, you know, to a record label? Of course she was like, fuck yes, we play in basements. So Wendy, you know, passed the information on to Steve or Rob, Steve. Okay. Wendy passed the information over to Rob and the rest is history. So at that point, the band dismembered and Gaga went back and forth to New Jersey to write and record music with Fusari. Um, Now, during that time, she had expressed to him that, you know, they were sort of developing her individual sort of style, her aesthetic, who she wanted to be as an artist. Because at this point, she was like 20 years old. She was a really young girl, dropped out of school, had no idea who she was, really. And she had expressed to him that she loved Queen. Queen was her favorite band. Um, Queen inspired her to want to do music. And she had talked to him about how when she was learning how to sing, you know, as a young girl, she took vocal lessons and stuff. And, you know, she was always in some sort of like performing arts program as a child. But listening to Freddie Mercury was kind of how she learned how to sing. So at that time, especially like her voice had this sort of Freddie Mercury adjacent, you know, uh, sort of effect to it. And as legend has it, um, he texted her one day for sorry. And he said, look, I think I just came up with like your stage name. And he said, what do you think about Lady Gaga? Which was a play off of the Queen song Radio Gaga, which was actually her favorite Queen song. And she responded back to him and said, that's it. Don't ever call me Stephanie ever again. Like from this moment on, I am forever going to be known as Lady Gaga. And the rest is actually just fucking history, my friends. And uh, so Gaga and Fasari started a production company together called Team Love Child, and they would basically sort of write and produce records together. They would record these like sort of electro pop songs that Gaga would send out to all these different record executives in hopes to get signed. So she was writing a huge catalog of music. They were developing her image. And she was just throwing records at anybody who would take them, hoping to get signed, hoping that they would end up on somebody's desk, you know, hoping that the right person would hear it and want to take a chance on her and, you know, give her a bunch of money to record an album and develop her, you know, her stage presence and everything. Um, And it was later discovered, actually, I when I was going back and doing research about her relationship with Fusari, who she actually dated during this time. (laughs) 
they were actually boyfriend and girlfriend the entire time that she was recording music with him. In 2013, he sued her for $30 million and claimed that she had shut him out of a uh, negotiated 20% that he was supposed to get in royalties for songs that she created with him. And she ended up countersuing him, and it was this whole thing. And they ended up settling where she paid him $10 million to basically keep his fucking mouth shut. Because he was going to go out and, like, you know, expose all this stuff about who she was before being famous. And, you know, all this stuff about Stephanie Germanata and her family. And so to keep her family safe and to keep her name safe and whatever, she paid him $10 million and that was it. But neither here nor there. Back to 2007. Or... Maybe like six, I guess. Six, five, uh, whatever. Uh, Gaga was first signed to Def Jam Records after L.A. Reid got her demo. So she sent one of the demos out to Def Jam and it was, you know, ended up on his desk. He listened to it and he was interested. He basically told her, we're going to hope to get an album out in the next nine months. So they gave her a, you know, a huge advance, giant money advance. And told her, you know, record your album, write all the music, and have it done in nine months. Um, And while she was doing that, the label was sort of trying to figure out where they wanted to place her. Was she going to be a pop artist, or a rock artist, or an R&B artist, um, or whatever? Like, they had no idea what she was going to be doing, because she didn't really fit into any specific kind of box. Like, it was very... It was very confusing for them to figure out, like, what they wanted to do with her, especially because at that point she was writing all her own stuff and she wasn't somebody who was, like, looking for people to write music for her or, like, develop her. She was kind of just wanting to, like, be herself, which she didn't really know who she was. So I I, I just, I kind of don't think it was the right time. I think that she, you know, she later ended up being dropped by the record label, which we're going to get to in a minute or so, but I think it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to her being dropped i don't think she would have ever made it big first of all i don't think la reed i read a lot about how la reed tries to like he's infamous for trying to group people into these boxes and like you know make these pop stars like the perfect image of what he thinks a pop star should be like like pink and like avril lavigne and all that stuff and he doesn't strike me as the kind of person who lets somebody sort of develop as an artist so The label, like I said, they had a hard time sort of figuring out what they wanted to do with her. She was too sort of weird and straightforward. She was too weird for pop music, but also too not weird for anything else. And she just didn't really fit. So L.A. Reid told her to dye her hair in an attempt to kind of like make her sexy, hoping maybe she would fit into like a Britney Spears kind of thing. So she did it. And um, when she dyed her hair and started to sort of change her image and become sexier, all of the people that she had acquired as a fan base when she was in her band, they were all like, there were rumors going around New York that she had like completely sold out and she became this big sort of laughing stock. Like people made fun of her. Um, all of the people that she sort of associated herself with before they all kind of like started to write her off. Like it was a, a, a low point for her. And her former friend, this guy, his name is DJ VH1, which you'll just have to get over. His name is DJ VH1. I didn't write it. I didn't come up with it. It's what he chose for himself. His name is DJ VH1. Like, it's something that we'll both just have to live with. He wrote a tell-all book about her 
and about specifically this time in her life because they would perform together a little bit later, which we'll get to. He mentioned how insanely devoted she was at this time to Luke because this whole time she's dating Luke Carl. So, you know, from the bar to, you know, going to perform at that at the, that event with her band to meeting Fasari to, you know, meeting L.A. Reid. She's still this whole time she's dating Luke Carl and he's just sort of watching this happen. And Luke Carl has been described as very jealous and controlling and um, very manipulative. Like he's not from what I've read and from what DJ VH1 wrote in his book, he's not a good guy. So he was sort of watching her become this different person and she was still just very hopelessly devoted to him in a way that was really unhealthy. And DJ VH1 wrote about how, you know, their relationship was a constant cat and mouse game. There was never, nothing she did was ever good enough. And there was whatever, you know, bar he would set for her to sort of reach as far as like, becoming this kind of person or doing this or doing that he would always then set it higher you guys i hate to cut you off but at this point i think you know the drill you got to be a patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode so go to patreon.com slash eb psychos at that point you will uh be asked to donate and then when you donate at this level you'll get this podcast you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week you'll get liz bentley's feathers in my hair which is the teen mom podcast um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.